Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I am joined as always by... Esme Mulberry. And we are watching our way through the 2005 release of The Outsiders, the complete novel by Francis Ford Coppola. His re-release of his 1983 film expanded to match the S.E. Hinton novel uh, more closely. We are doing this five minutes at a time, so we have made it to the 80-minute mark... So today we're going to be talking about minute 80 to minute 85 of the complete novel. But before we jump into um, the five minutes, we should probably remind ourselves of where we've been in a little segment we call Previously on Stay Gold. In the last five minutes after Ponyboy and Randy finish their conversation, Ponyboy comes back to where Tubit is standing and then they go to the hospital to visit Johnny and Dally. Um, when they go and see Johnny, Johnny asks for a new copy of the book Gone with the Wind. Um, and then when Two-Bit goes and gets it, he tells Ponyboy that he's afraid to die. And then he refuses to see his mother. Johnny passes out before Ponyboy and Two-Bit leave. And as they're leaving the room, they confront Johnny's mom and Two-Bit yells at her. And then they go and visit Dally and we leave off kind of right as right after they came in the room so nothing really important has been said yet right so we're in uh we're in dally's hospital room with pony boy and two bit and uh dally asks how johnny's doing and i think it's important to sort of pay attention to the um kind of non-verbals of both two bit and pony boy like they're both yeah. real down um, and Tubit says, I don't know about stuff like this, but he didn't look good. He passed out cold before we left. And then there's a long silence. Mm-hmm. And I think I notice these silences more when I'm taking notes because I'm used to like writing down everything that people say and like camera cuts and things like this. And this is definitely a scene where there's a lot of space between things being said. Um, you know, I think all of these folks are in their own heads at this point. Mm-hmm. And everyone's kind of avoiding eye contact with each other. Um, so Dally climbs back into bed. And as he does this, he snaps the unlit cigarette in his mouth on the pillow and kind of throws it across the room in frustration. This is a cigarette that Ponyboy gave him. Um, question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think this was a serendipitous thing that happened in filming? Or do you think this was like part of the script to have the cigarette break and him throw it in frustration? I don't know the answer. I'm just yeah, asking and watching it. I could go I I could believe both ways just because for one thing it does seem like a weird thing of the thought of let's have him do this. Like it seems so random and like oddly specific. But then it's also like it's a weird position he gets into. And then it's a thing too of like he now has this cigarette and he's not supposed to be smoking it in the scene. So maybe they're just like, let's have him do that so it breaks and then just chuck it across the room. Yeah, like sort of a thing, another thing for him to get frustrated at. The reason I ask is because every time I watch this, it looks to me like Matt Dillon is trying to do this. Like he's trying to get it to break. Yeah. It's almost like he's trying to like aim it at the pillow as he lies down to Mm -hmm. get it to break. 
And it's like the most thing front and center in the shot. Yeah. Um, so I was just curious your thoughts on that. I think yeah. it's I think it's probably intentional. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, I also even wonder like is that cigarette already kind of pre broken because it snaps so easily. Yeah, on it's the just like. Um, so that's obviously not a a uh, a book detail because that would be a strange book detail. Yeah. Um, but I but I was just curious your your sense of of watching that. Um, after another pause, Dally asked Two Bit. To give him his knife. So 2-Bit famously has this like butterfly knife switchblade that we've seen him pull out a few times in the um, in the movie. Uh, and then in the book, there's more of a backstory to this too, right? Yeah. There's in this part, Ponyboy like in the narration goes into detail about like how this is 2-Bit's like most prized possession and he loves this thing. And when Dally asks for it, he hands it over without a moment's hesitation and, like, it really is much more of a, like, meaningful moment in the book mm-hmm. because you get all this backstory of, like, this is something that really matters to him. Now, what's interesting is, so when he asks for this, um, Tubit flips open the knife, and so the blade is out, mm-hmm. and he puts it in Dally's hand. Now, Dally's facing away yeah. and reaching back for it. I mean, the only way I can describe it is it's sort of like if you've ever seen a relay race like mm-hmm. when the they're passing the baton and the you know the runner in front is not looking backwards is looking ahead and just has their hand out yeah you know, expecting the baton to hit them in the hand like this is what dally's doing so there's a it, it's just an yeah. interesting like kind of blocking of this scene a little bit um it also like it seems like such a bad move when someone's not looking at you to hand them a knife although you have the blade out Although he hands it to him the right way. I mean, he hands it to him. Yeah, he does. Puts the handle in his hand. But why is he asking for it in that way? It's such a strange... Mm -hmm. It's it's such a clear choice, either the director or the actor. It's such a clear choice that I'm sort of curious why. Because that that seems unnatural. So I'm wondering, what do they think's going on? My only guess is that there's the whole thing about how Dally doesn't show emotion... That he is supposedly having this really emotional moment and is trying to hide that that's happening, so is gonna not face them. Is my only guess of what that could be. I think so. I think that 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 seems to fit. Um, so then uh, Dally says, still with his back to the camera. So you really the screen is just sort of full f- filled with Dally's back. Yeah. Um, and he says, you know, we gotta win this fight tonight. We got to get even with those Soches. And on the word even, he stabs the knife into the mattress. Mm-hmm. Then he turns back to Tubit and Pony and says, let's do it for Johnny, man. We'll do it for Johnny. <laughs> um, and then he lays back down and puts the knife blade on his forehead. And we hear church bells start ringing. This is, um, as much as we laud Matt Dillon in this movie, like... He's definitely, like, going for this as a poignant moment. What's your thought on... Because you, you made a comment when, when we saw this uh, mm-hmm. just now. We watched this again. You made a comment that I thought was interesting. What did I say? You said it was his it was his funniest moment in the movie. Oh, yeah. Like, um, maybe it was just, like, my first viewing experience of it. Because um, the first time I watched this movie was in school. And right before he says this line, I was talking to my friend and we were talking about how like every sentence he says, he says the word man after it. Mm -hmm. And then it was this line. 
and it just was really funny to me in that moment and it's also like even without that it's kind of funny because it's like really over emotional in some ways. Yeah, no, it it, it, like, it it doesn't quite land as well as so much of the other. Yeah. He seems like such a natural actor, and this seems a little unnatural. No, yeah. what this line is is this is the kind of line that you would hear. This is where it it makes this feel a little bit like a sports movie, and the rumble yes. is the big game, and like Johnny won't make it to the big game, but we got to win this for Johnny. It it's doesn't that, sound like a real thing someone would say. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's so so. It just now. I'm curious. Uh, is book line? It's not a book line. So I have it written down what he says in the book. Uh, Sorry, I need it. Okay, in the book, his whole line is, "We got to win that fight tonight. We got to get even with the socials for Johnny." Okay, it's just that. It's not like so. It's amped up in the movie. It is amped up in the movie. There's also a part two at the beginning. Where, like, he asks, in the movie, he asks, like, how's Johnny? In the book, he just asks, how's the kid? Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting where in the movie, they, like, make him say his name more times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did notice that. But, it, yeah, this moment in the movie, they wanted to play it up way more, and it just didn't hit. Yeah, it, it lands a little, like, a little cheesy. Yeah. 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 Um, so then, you know, so as I said, that scene ends and he puts the knife blade to his forehead. We hear church bells and those church bells are our kind of sonic transition because uh, we fade to Tubit and Pony Boy now outside with a big church or cathedral behind them. So that's where these bells are coming mm-hmm. from. Pony is sitting on a bus bench and Tubit asks Pony if he's okay. He feels his forehead and says that he feels hot. So now we're laying the groundwork that Pony is sick of some, you know, in some way. And yeah. Pony says, I'm okay. He says, hey, be a pal and don't tell Dairy. I'll take a bunch of aspirin when I get home. And Tubit agrees but says that Dairy will kill him if he finds out that Pony Boy is sick and goes ahead and fights anyway. So now there's now we've introduced this tension of will Pony fight in the Rumble or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pony says, keep your trap shut and he won't, fi- and he won't find out nothing. Um, and just as he's saying this, the bus pulls up. Now, um, this is a really well-designed shot. Yeah. Because they're sitting there, um, or Pony's sitting on the on the bus bench and, and Tubit's standing there. And we see the bus from behind move into frame. And it's one of those things, very real, like... Uh, if you've ever if you've ever taken like city buses, mm-hmm. you know they're very precise where they come in and stop, and it looks like it's going to hit Estevez, <laughs> like like yeah, and it just sort of perfectly stops right there, you know. So he's like kind of right on the edge of the curb. You can't see any of that, but you just see the bus. So the bus ends up filling probably about forty percent of the the right hand side of the frame. It pulls yeah. up into frame, um, just really really well set up uh, and 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 kind of cool looking shot. Um, so as the bus pulls up, Tubit says, um, you know, the only thing that keeps dairy from being a soch is us. Um, which I think is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing for him to say. This is definitely a theme we see in the book. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I feel like it's, it's definitely played up more in the book. Not really yet though. I feel like it's when we get closer to the rumble, right? Yeah. This is kind of when this idea is first really introduced, um, but it comes up a l- more later. But the line in the movie 
to me is like weirdly placed because mm-hmm. in the book there's a little bit more of a conversation where like Pony Boys and Two Bit are kind of talking about like dairy and Two Bit brings up how like dairy's more strict than like Pony Boy's parents were mm-hmm. and Pony Boy kind of talks about Darius like a parental figure and then this gets brought up so it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, I'm glad you point that out because I actually think this five minutes has two instances where a line is crammed in a little and it's like, wh- why did you say that then? Cause, yeah. Because like they were talking about, you know, Darius would be upset if he, if he, if you fought and, and then he found out you were sick but that doesn't connect to yeah. to that piece. It's like you miss a step or two. Yeah, yeah. In there. So it's like it's like this is going from A to C or A to D, um, and using book lines. But yeah, and it's it's not it's okay. But it, but but again, this will happen one more time in this five minutes as mm-hmm. well, where I feel like they're just in this. You know, I'm sure that's a part of adaptation is you're just trying to compress conversations. So every once in a yeah. while, somebody will say something that feels a little like jumping around yeah yeah like they've they just it came out of nowhere weird conversation starter yeah yeah or like like there should have been something said before that yeah um so as they say this um two bit hands some change to pony boy and they get on the bus i like the detail of yes. two bit handing change to also, pony like boy. you know he's a great guy like he pays for his friend even though we learn he doesn't have a job he gets money from somewhere guessing yeah. something not totally legal but you know, he's a good guy. Yeah, and you know, and, and it's one of those things where you remember it's like, yeah, Pony Boy's like fourteen, like he's a kid. Yeah. So yeah, I got, I really, I really like that. Um, so then we cut to Tubit and Pony Boy on the bus. We get a two shot of them sitting side by side, and um, you notice Pony Boy is kind of leaning his head against the window of the bus. Um, so I feel like you're starting to see a little bit of the, you know, is Pony Boy. Sick. Like, I think you can read somebody who doesn't feel 100% into this. Um, And he says, tonight, I don't like it one bit. Something awful is going to happen. So so Pony Boy has in his head, um, you know, maybe something with the rumble, something bad's going to happen there. Yeah. And we see the bus uh, pull up and stop by the Oklahoma Steel Casting Factory. Uh, We see 2-Bit and Pony get off. And I think this is an interesting little detail because... If they're riding the bus, you know, close to their neighborhood, it's also showing that their neighborhood is really close to kind of like an industrial center in yeah. um, in in Tulsa. So, you know, probably not the most, um, probably not the best location for living, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little, little detail there. Uh, and Tony's, uh, Pony's walk makes him look a, or seem a little bit sick, too. He still feels like he's... Um, a little woozy, maybe, like the way you are if you have a fever or a bad headache. Uh, and Tubit says they're going to stomp on some Soshas tonight. And we hear a slow instrumental electric guitar song start to play. I was trying to – I couldn't find out what the song is. Um, and it, But it reminds me a little of um, the Santo and Johnny song Sleepwalk. A little bit. Like it has this kind of like – I'm not good at describing it. This 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 song has like a piano part, but then kind of this like slow guitar, like um yeah melodic guitar kind of um mm-hmm. it's 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 so that starts to kick in here and that's gonna play throughout this um this whole next scene. Um, I will say like the line where Pony Boy talks about like he has a bad feeling about like what's gonna happen tonight, 
in the book, this is more of like a conversation that they have. And then the line where two bits is like, we're going to stomp the soldiers night is then a part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, yeah. I feel like it works fine. Yeah, it works fine. Yeah. It's just a little weird that it's like in the book, in the movie, you have this weird thing of like, he says this line. Then there's kind of silence, and then it's like two bits just randomly picking up the conversation. Way right, later. but there's definitely a time jump. Yeah, you know, as they're as they're getting off the bus. Um, so now we cut to what is a really pretty shot in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, it's kind of a we we saw this in Windricksville. This is a sunset now, but it's kind of a silhouette shot. So the only mm-hmm. light we see is in the background. We see we see the sun setting, and everything we see is in silhouette. Uh, so it appears to be a silhouette of what I presume is the um, is the vacant lot. I think so. In the book, it's the lot. So I'm guessing. Yeah, and they're walking home, and the lot is close to their house, right? Yeah, it's in the book. It's like on the corner of their block, and in the movie, it seems a little farther away. But yeah. yeah. Um, so we see Ponyboy and Two Bit walking from left to right. And we see uh, silhouettes of some younger kids playing or fighting. It's hard to tell. You know, kind of in the way that, like, with little kids, the line between playing and fighting is pretty blurry. Like, you can, you know, fight with your friends, but that doesn't mean something bad is happening. And Ponyboy says, tough little kids, huh? And Tubit says, yeah, future greasers. Um, So. Yeah. uh, so, So they're. Um, as they're looking at them, the camera keeps moving to the right, and we see the silhouette of a girl in a convertible Corvette Stingray. Yeah. Um, so this is our reintroduction of Cherry Valance. Um, I will say with the kids fighting, that's like in the book there's nothing with that, but there's actually a thing in That Was Then This Is Now where there's something like this. Oh. Where it's like the the main characters see like little kids fighting and they kind of think about it like that and then also have like memories of when they were little and were doing that. Um, so when I was watching this, that felt really familiar to me and then I was kind of surprised it wasn't in the book. And then I realized it's like in the other one, it's kind of a... Sure. It's actually kind of like a theme thing that runs through that book. Sure. And, you know, and maybe that echoes what Randy was saying about like that this whole thing is just this on this cycle and things yeah. don't change. That like... These little kids are going to grow up to be greasers. The little kid brothers of the Soshas are going to grow up to be Soshas. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is just the way the world works. Uh, so I think it kind of echoes echoes that theme. So um, we see Cherry get out of her car and walk up to them. Uh, and Tubit asks, what's up with the big times? As he's mm-hmm. uh, he's always got names for, for Soshas, things like that. And Cherry says, no, whippin', no weapons. They play your way. It's a fair deal. And Tubit asks if she's sure. And Cherry says, well, Randy told me and he knows for sure. So they thank her and start to walk away. And then Cherry stops Pony Boy um, and kind of pulls him over to a, a private conversation. So Tubit has sort of kept going. But now it's just this conversation between Cherry and Pony Boy. And she asks how Johnny's doing. Uh, and Pony says, not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he asks, would you, would she come up and see, and see him? Uh, and Cherry says that she couldn't, he killed Bob. Maybe Bob asked for it. I know he did, but you don't know the, his other side. He could be real sweet. He wasn't just any boy. 
Bob had something that made him different, made people follow him. Maybe a little better than the crowd. You know what I mean? And Pony res- Pony responds um, pretty angrily to this. Yeah. yeah. So Pony says, yeah, well, that's okay. Because I don't want you to go see him anyways. We don't want your damn charity. Yeah. You know, so there's this, there's this, mm. this tense sense of like, you know, Pony's really on this journey of we're all, maybe we're all more the same than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why he's like, well, Cherry, you're, you're sort of kind of blend, blurring the line between Soch and Greaser. Would you go see him? And he knows that that would mean a lot to Johnny. And it I, I'm sure yeah. it would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's sort of hurt that she's like, well, I couldn't. And I think he's reading this as I couldn't because I'm a Soch and he's a greaser. But she's saying something different. Yeah. In the book, he comes to the realization of like, oh, that was her boyfriend. And then oh, I wish I remembered how this went. He then kind of somehow gets to that position of anger as she's talking about this. Um, And he actually does a much longer thing of him yelling at her. And he does this whole thing about how, like, she's a traitor to her own kind and not loyal loyal to them. And, like, spying from them doesn't make up for the fact that, like, she has, is, like, has all this money and is really kind of lucky in life. And then he says this part. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, it came off a little weird in the book, too, of, like, he gets to this realization of, like, oh, yeah, that was her boyfriend, and then she says this whole thing, and then he gets angry at her after that. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, we think about, think about who Bob is to to Pony Boy. Bob is the person who was actively trying to drown him. Yeah. And he was the person who nearly beat Johnny to death. Mm-hmm. earlier like so so his his basically his experiences with bob have only been per, not just that he's a social and there's tension between them but like real brutality yeah you know um so so this is i mean it's interesting what cherry's trying to say here uh it also mm-hmm. makes me think about like bob and randy because those are the two male socials we really encounter yeah um and the way she describes Bob really reminds me of the way that I see Randy. I mean, think about when Randy pulls up to the Tasty Freeze. Those other socials in the car are just like, they're kind of blank, you know, yeah. and they do what he says, you know, and, and he seems like he's in charge. So I almost wish we could have seen the Bob that she talks about. I mean, maybe it's better mm-hmm. we don't and we have to take her word for it because it's hard to take her word for it. Yeah. Um. There's also a part in the book, too, like, the kind of speech she gives is longer in the book. And she talks about how, like, he was really good except for when he was drinking. And then there's actually this whole thing about, about like, why do people sell liquor to boys and kids? And it's, like, this weird kind of preachy call to action thing. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad they took it out, but also... Well, you know, I think, again, this is a a 16-year-old S.E. Hinton writing this. This is probably things that she's observed. I know. Yeah. I feel like it's important in the book, and it is actually a part I really like, but I get why they took it out in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because it seems a little like, oh. Mm. So so Pony Boy kind of snaps and says that, uh, you know, we don't uh, don't want your charity. And he starts to walk away. And now we have Cherry yelling, you know, and she says, Pony Boy, I wasn't trying to give you charity. 
I only wanted to help. I liked you from the start, the way we talked. Wouldn't you try to help me if you thought you could? And I think this is an interesting moment because this is also, you know, Pony Boy was the one who went and helped those kids in the burning church that he didn't even know. Yeah. You know, and now she's like, I'm also just trying to help. I'm in the middle of this. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you also try to help me? Um, so I feel like there's, there's some echoes of the conversation with Randy about like, would you, or would you not cross lines to try to help and things yeah. like that? Um, and then pony boy says, so his response to her saying, wouldn't you try to help me if you thought you could pony boy says, can you see the sunset from the South? Very good. And Cherry says yes, and Pony Boy says you can see it from the north side too. Now this is another. This is a this is a book line more or less. Yeah. Um. For one thing, it's phrased differently, and he says, "Can you see it real good?" Which I think makes more sense than the way he says it. it it's yeah. A weird. Sentence. Yeah. His his wording is weird. Yeah. I think it was not what he was supposed to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think C. Thomas Howell accidentally said the wrong thing or something because it makes no sense when he says. Well, it, it makes sense. It, it just, makes sense. It just it's sounds just like awkward. Yeah, yeah. It sounds real weird. Um. But yeah, and then there's like the east and west thing. Right, but but also this this is another instance where it feels like there should be some space between yeah. what she said and what he said. There should be some other things said because the his, book his res- there's not. Oh really? These lines come after each other. Yeah, but in the book it makes more sense because it's like they've had these conversations. Oh, about the sunsets. Yeah, and stuff. so yeah. it's like this is something they go back to, and then she also has the line of like, "I liked what she." What is it? It's like. The way we talked. The way we talked, yeah. yeah. Um, so then it's kind of referencing back to that conversation yeah. they There's had. There's more history with talking about sunsets yeah. and that stuff. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Uh-uh. Like, like, like that. I feel like the track hasn't been laid for this Yeah. in the movie, so it seems like a strange thing to say. It does. It's bizarre. Because he says it in a knowing way, like, oh, we, we've talked about this before. We really are, you know, more the same than we think. Um, so when he says this, Cherry laughs and she thanks Pony Boy and says, you dig okay. Um, which I love phrases like that. Even yeah. though I don't know that I could properly <laughs> use them. Pony says, see you around. And we cut back to the silhouette shot as Cherry gets back into the car. And we fade to black as the song also wraps up. So I really like the way this song is yeah. laying underneath this as well. Um, so we fade back in and now we're in the interior of the Curtis house and it's sort of rumble pregame time. People are getting ready. Uh, pony boy is in the foreground looking into the bathroom mirror as if the camera is the mirror. And in the background, we see soda and Steve playing cards at the dining room table. Pony boy is kind of checking out his face and he asks soda when he started shaving and showed it. Soda yells back that he was 15 and then Pony asked when Derry started shaving. And that's the end of the five. Yep. So um, we've talked a lot about the book here. Are there other book things that you want to mention when we're thinking about this? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that conversation had had more to it. I mean, that's really the centerpiece yeah. of this, I think. Honestly, most of that conversation is pretty much exactly what they say. They cut out little parts, and the parts that they cut out make sense, and then they kept in the sunset line, which I honestly feel like was a little bit of a mistake, because it's too late at this point. Yeah. Unless, my only guess is that 
some of the stuff that's in the deleted scenes and is not in this is that conversation they have. Maybe, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's a tip of the hat to the fa- to the fact that this is for book readers, and book readers will know what maybe. that means, and anybody else will just like it'll just pass by them. That's all that I can think. Yeah, it's one of the two. I don't know. Because I like that metaphor so well Mm -hmm. in the book, but they haven't laid any track for it. Yeah, they haven't at all. You know, and it's it's a shame because it's such a cool sunset shot that they're at. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's great. It's really fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you were to rate this book uh, or, or rate this five minutes... In term on a scale of zero to ten, in terms of its fidelity to the book, where would you put this? Um, oh, that's hard. Maybe at like an eight, just because they cut out little parts of conversations and stuff like that, but most of the conversations are there and is like word for word what is said. So, did this look like what you thought it would look like? Yeah, okay. honestly, yeah. Um. Although, like, to be fair, the shot with, like, him and Cherry is, like, they're in an empty lot and there's yeah. a sunset. Yeah. But, like, it does look how I would imagine it to be. Sure, sure. A no, lot abs- of it does. Well, and that that's a sign of a of great adaptation. Yeah. If you're just like, man, I, that's what I was picturing. It also shows, I think, too, that S.C. Hinton's a good writer because it seems like a lot of people pictured exactly that way. Yeah, yeah. So there's, like, good visual even though it seems like she doesn't do that much descriptive stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, there's something evocative of childhood too, where it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, no, I like, I think, I think she, she does the right stuff to, to, to make those connections. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we do a little deep dive? Yeah. All right. So, uh, this is a deep dive about, uh, the Curtis brothers house. So the house that is used, um, that we see at the very end of this five minutes, and we're going to spend a, a chunk of the next five minutes in as well. Um, the house that this was filmed in, this is located in North Tulsa's Crutchfield neighborhood at 731 North St. Louis Avenue on the corner it shares with East and Independent Street. So the house was built in 1920 and served as a private residence. Uh, in 1982, the house was used by Coppola for the filming of The Outsiders. Um, after filming wrapped, it continued to serve as a private home but eventually kind of fell into disrepair. Now, in 2009, uh, Daniel Danny Boy O'Connor, member of the 1980s hip-hop group House of Pain, was on tour in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and O'Connor was a fan of The Outsiders from childhood, and he used some free time while on tour in Tulsa to hop into a cab and search for locations that were used in the film, and he came across the house. Um, so in, in subsequent years when he would come back to Tulsa, he would go visit that house again. Um, March 2016, O'Connor bought the house for $15,000. Now, does $15,000 sound a lot to you for buying a house? No. No, no, not, no, at, not all. at all. So that tells you the condition of this house. Um, and uh, so he buys the house and begins work on restoring it. Um, So the renovation team worked to make sure that the house looked just as it did for the film, um, such as remaking the front door, retaining damage, like damage to the fence on the front lawn. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to keep things like that, uh, missing wood panels on windows. So he tried to recreate the house as it was in the film as much as possible. So a GoFundMe was set up for additional funds. 
Uh, notable do- uh, donors included musicians Jack White and Billy Idol. Um, they also raised funds by doing screenings of the film organized uh, by C. Thomas, that, that, that C. Thomas Howell attended. So they used the film as a way to make money for, um, for this restoration. On August 5th, 2016, the street signs on the corner were changed to read Outsider's Way and the Curtis Brothers Lane. <laughs> now, a funny thing is, uh, if you look at news reports about this, so that's on August 5th. On August 7th, there were news reports about how those signs were stolen or had gone missing. Hmm. Uh, but then they were eventually found and, and put back. Um, so I just think that's funny that yeah. almost immediately those were taken. Uh, in 2018, uh, an event at the house was organized where Hinton and, and C. Thomas Howell imprinted their handprints in wet cement uh, at the house. August 9th, 2019, a ribbon cutting ceremony marked the official opening of the Outsiders House Museum. So this house now be- has become a museum. Um, aside from Howell, the, uh, the restoration and the opening, other stars of the film have visited, including Rob Lowe, Ralph Macchio, and Matt Dillon. So the Outsiders House Museum spans the entire house and features the front porch, living room, dining room, bathroom, and kitchen as they appeared in the film. Back rooms of the house are used to exhibit paraphernalia, um, including posters, magazines, a switchblade collection, Francis Ford Coppola's director's chair, and Matt Dillon's jacket. So if you are in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're looking for uh, a museum to visit, the uh, the Outsiders House Museum is available. They have a, uh, a pretty nice website. I, I spent oh. some time looking at their website. Um, I think you might need to arrange tours. I don't think you can just drive up oh. and go in, but I think that that's... That that's the kind of thing that, that you amazing. can do. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. They they have merch if you want to get <gasps> Outsiders merch. House Museum now I merch. I really want to go. Uh, should we give out an award? Yeah. All right. So who won the five? Uh, I have four possible nominees here. Uh, we have C. Thomas Howell as Ponyboy Curtis, Emilio Estevez as Two Bit Matthews, Matt Dillon as Dally Winston, or Diane Lane as Cherry Valance. Hmm. I'm leaning towards Diane Lane, I think. I think she's I think she's the best in this. That conversation is kind of what is most of the five minutes, and she is the best one in that conversation. Yeah, and, and I will say it's one of those moments where we get a conversation that's kind of cutting to part of the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this about? You need to be convinced by her. In the same way, you need to be convinced by Randy when they meet at the Tasty Freeze. Yeah. You know, so like um, I feel like I, as we were rewatching this, again, I, I think C. Thomas Howell is fine in this movie. Yeah. But you see scenes like this and you just realize like one of these people is really good at this acting mm-hmm. thing. And one's pretty good. C. Thomas Howell is pretty good and Diane Lane is a very good actor. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, she, she like this stuff rolls off of her so much better. Rolls mm-hmm. out of her so much better. And I think that's the problem just overall with C. Thomas Howell in this movie is like he's not really bad. It's just other people are so much better. He's constantly in scenes with like a murderer's row of burgeoning young actors yeah. who are going to go on to big careers. Like it, it that's that's the the reality of it, mm-hmm. yeah. 
So we we good with giving this to Diane Lane? Yeah. I believe this is her second time winning the five. Mm -hmm. So she's not in this movie much, but when she is, she really pops off the screen. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let us know your thoughts. Email us at channel3900 at gmail.com. Do you think we should have given this to C. Thomas Howell? Um, Do you think we should have given this to that bus driver who didn't hit Emilio Estevez as he pulled up? Um, do you want to visit the Outsiders House Museum or even better, have you visited the Outsiders House Museum? Uh, please tell us about your experience there. Uh, email us channel 3900 at gmail.com. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about minute 85 to minute 90. Until then, stay gold. <laughs>